You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Okay. Now listen, I was in here all week with City Camp, and I heard how the first or fifth graders do that. They shame you. Okay, they shame you in that. Good morning, everybody. Hey, okay. Listen, I'm the student minister, so I need more of that. It helps me. Uh, my name is Corey Butler. Uh, it's my honor to be with you this morning. It's my honor to be the student's minister here at Citizens Church. Uh, welcome, welcome into worship with us, uh, whether you're here in person or online. We're glad that you're here uh, with us this morning. Yeah, it's been a week here. Uh, man, we've had, a, there's a lot of things going on. Like we said, it's family worship weekend. Uh, man, my first through fifth grade friends, I got to hang out with you all week here for city camp. And I hope you're, you're like quiet coyote with me and you're like looking and listening at me right now. But like, like I, I love you. I'm glad you're here. Like I, you are an important part of this place. Like you matter. We see you. We love you. The father, father loves you. He sees you. Like, we're glad you're here. So like, here's the deal. When you're in here with me, because I'm up here, like you, you can talk with me just like we did uh, at City Camp this week. You might help your parents with that, okay? Um, it's also like we said, Father's Day. It reminds me of our Madvatma, in case you're like, what is that? Uh, that is our memory verse of the week that we had at City Camp a week. You saw in that video uh, of John chapter one and verse 12. Uh, but for all did receive him who believed in his name. He gave the right to be called sons and daughters or children of God. Uh, that was our memory verse of the week. The kids were like saying that under their breath with me just then. Uh, because of the great love, with which the Father has loved us, like we see in that verse. Um, because of our faith in Jesus, we can live as children of God, his adopted sons and daughters who are known and loved and seen by our perfectly he- perfect heavenly Father. That, that's who he is. And that's what he offers for us in Jesus. Um, lastly, obviously, like Taryn mentioned and Michael mentioned, uh, we had city camp this week. You guys, it was just full send all week. Um, I want to just take a second um, to acknowledge our next-gen team who are some of my favorite people in the world. Um, They have not only led us in a week like City Camp, Melissa Cotter and Emily Lemke and Tyler Chacon and Kenzie Owen, they not only led like in a full send week with all of their fervor and all of their heart, but they... They help us disciple our children on the daily, on the regular. Like my discipleship with my family is better because of them. That's right. Thank you. Good. Amen. So um, to, to the four of you and to the army of humans that made city camp happen, the entire staff was there. That might've been the challenging part. The, like the whole staff was there, over 30 students, like some of these guys over here leading and people helping cook and clean and set up and tear down and run rec and run groups. It was just beautiful church. City camp was beautiful. We talked uh, all about four things. We talked about what it looks like to know, love, trust, and obey God, to know him, to know, to know right, true, good things about him in a relationship with him, to know who he is and what he has done leads us to love him, to love him because he first loved us in Jesus. To know him is to love him and to, to love him is to trust him, to trust him because he's always and only good. 
He's trustworthy. We can place our confidence in him. To know him is to love him, is to trust him. And all of these things lead to obeying him. And this obedience, because of who he is and what he's done, it is not a burdensome obedience, it is good. Because you will only ever ask of his people good. He will only ever lead us into good. There may be difficulty there, but he is there and he is always good. To know, love, trust, and obey him is good and right. And that's where I want us to spend our time today is going back to this very first point of knowing God. So if you have your Bible, please open it up to John chapter 17. We'll be in those first three verses that Jude read for us just a moment ago. John 17, be in the first three verses. On the first day of city camp, when I was here with the students, we discussed um, a bit of the bad news that comes in this message that we were not born into God's family. We were not born knowing and following the one true God. Our hearts were sick with sin outside of faith in Jesus. Yet we are still made for God. We are still created for life with him. It's the beautiful story. It's the refrain of scripture over and over and over again that Adam and Eve walked with God. Abraham was called a friend of God. Moses went up on the mountain to be with God. David said in Psalm 27, he said, one thing I ask that I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Uh, the prophet Isaiah called God Emmanuel, God with us. Um, the apostle Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain because that would mean that I get to be with God. It is the story of scripture over and over again that we were made to know him, to enjoy him, to delight in him forever through the completed work of Jesus. This is what we were made for. We were made for this relationship with the heavenly father. Uh, this statement of relationship with God might land on you in different places. If you're like me, I was a church brat. We were there in the mornings, we were there at night, we were there on Wednesdays with their prayer gatherings and meals and other things like that. So I would hear statements like this relationship or statements like, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And it started to feel cliche and almost cheesy to me at times. Or like me, you might hear this statement of relationship with God and it may seem wild or unbelievable or even impossible. But whether it falls in you as cliche or unbelievable, it doesn't make it less true because it is. So the scriptures point to over and over again. It might fall on you like my 10-year-old son when he hears this call to know God. He's almost indignant at the thought of anything else. It's God that we were made for. It's God that we were meant to know and to walk with. You guys, Christianity makes this radical claim and represents this remarkable reality. It represents the remarkable reality that through Jesus and by his spirit, we can know and enjoy and walk with the God of the universe. This is what we were made for. This is what we we're created for. It's here in this central relationship that changes every other relationship that real life happens, that the good life happens with him. We were made to know God. So let's, let's read our passage together then. John chapter 17, verses one through three, and we'll talk a little bit about it. John 17, one says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, 
the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life, this is this eternal life, to give eternal life, excuse me, and authority over all flesh to all those you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Let me read verse three again. And this is eternal life that they would know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the reading of God's word. This is referred to you guys, John 17 is referred to as the high priestly prayer. It might be said there in your Bible. This high priestly prayer where we again, much like our time in the Sermon on the, in the Mount over the last several, several months, where we get a very clear window into the heart of God. We see perfect communion between God the Father and God the Son. We see the life that God wants for his adopted sons and daughters. And seeing these things, when I read this passage of scripture and see that he wants to know us, it fills me with awe. It fills me with gratitude and joy and hope. This conversation though around eternal life in this passage is a really big one. This passage makes it clear though what it is and what it is not, what it's not about. Now, I'm certainly glad, I'm really glad, I'm very glad that eternal life will include forever in the grandeur of heaven. This one verse makes it clear that this is not the primary meaning of eternal life. This is not the main point here. Eternal life is so much more than that. Eternal life is more than knowing about God and becoming informed church people. It's, it's more than knowing about Jesus' teachings and becoming educated moral people. It's more than just being impressed with God's compassion for the poor or commitment to social justice that we might rally around a certain cause. Jesus died for more than this. Knowing Jesus, knowing his finished work, what he did for us, Knowing the Father, this is the essence. This is the, the heartbeat. This is the, the highest good and the splendor of eternal life is in knowing God. It's in knowing God. And so much wonder, there's so much wonder packed into these three verses that Jesus starts this chapter long prayer to the Father. So much wonder packed into it, even in and around just the word know. Uh, that Greek word know there carries a, a lot of weight and it's really used kind of in two different ways in this passage in the scriptures in general. Uh, the first one is to know God through personal firsthand experience. So it's to know God through a personal firsthand experience. Uh, one, of, one of the best parts of my job here at the church is, uh, is the, the adult leaders in the student ministry. Uh, there's, there's over 20 uh, of these 20-somethings, these young adults that are leaders in the ministry that lead the small groups in the student ministry. And one of the good things, maybe bad things, because it stirs up jealousy in me, is following them on Instagram and seeing the life that they lead and the places that they get to go. Uh, I had a conversation, one of them last week, she was wearing a t-shirt from Yellowstone. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's that like? Uh, and she goes, oh, it's amazing. And then she starts talking about it. And it's one thing for me to see pictures of their experiences when they go to these places and the places that they've been. It's one thing for me to see it, to be able to talk about the picture that I saw. It's another thing for them to be able to speak about the things that they have seen and heard and touched and felt on their own. Those are their firsthand experiences. This is what it looks like to know God, to know him in firsthand personal experience. The second way the scripture speaks about knowing God in this passage is to experientially know him, to know God in intimacy and primacy of relationship. 
that there would be an intimate relationship with him. It's a primary relationship. Um, at bedtime, every night, I like making my way around to my three kids. I've got three kiddos, 10, six, and three. Uh, and it's really fun uh, to get towards my daughter. The boys, it usually ends up in wrestling and tickling and like wanting to like get way more active than my wife wants it to be uh, because it usually means we're up later. But with my daughter, it usually leads to cuddling and saying really sweet things that are really true. Uh, but at bedtime, I love spending time with her. And I tell her every single night, I tell her there's no other six-year-old in the world that I love like you. You're, you're it. To which she then reminds me, but you love other people too, because that's what Jesus said to do, right? Like, yes, sweetheart, that's very true. You're correct. But I tell her every time when she responds away, but not like you, you're different. You're different. I don't know them like I know you. To know God like this is to enter into this journey of fulfilling deepest longings for connection and relationship and intimacy. There is, there's no human being that can satiate this desire. There's none. These cravings, not a spouse, not a child, not friends, not parents, no one. To exist with the one that our soul was made for. To know God like this is also to be fully known by him in all of our brokenness and weakness and sinfulness because God who knows us best also loves us best. He loves us most with full knowledge and understanding of exactly who we are and knows us best and wants relationship with us. It's here in that relationship of God that we experience the grace that the scriptures speak about in reality, not as just an abstract idea. We experience that in our relationship with him. Pastor Scotty Smith said it really well. He said, to know you, God, as you desire to be known, puts an end to our posing and our pretending and our posturing and performing. Such freedom such rest and peace are not possible apart from you. This is what it looks like to know God. So as we read this passage then, as we read John 17, one through three, again and again, I read it over and over, getting ready to teach on it at city camp and read and prayed over it over and over, getting ready for our time this morning. Um, the spirit of God kind of sparked two things in my soul for us this morning. Uh, the first one is this. Let's go back and read the passage again. Is that Jesus went straight to the Father. Let's read those first two verses. Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Um, the lead up to John 17 into this high priestly prayer, uh, the lead up to it is, is rather weighty for Jesus' followers. If you were to go back and look at John chapter 16 and read in its fullness from, from beginning to end, uh, it's really intense. Jesus speaks really plainly with the disciples in their relationship together. He starts to talk to them about what would soon happen to him and what's gonna happen to them. Uh, in the first five verses, he tells them that they're gonna be kicked out of the synagogue, their places of worship, and then that they're gonna be people who are trying to kill them. He speaks very, very plain with them. And then after, these, after that, he says, I have much more to say to you, but you can't bear it now, as if that wasn't enough. But then he promises the Holy Spirit and says, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. 
Much like we've been talking about the last few weeks, if you've been here in our movement through the Sermon on the Mount, but in Matthew 6, the last weeks, we were talking about how Jesus shows us where to go in our worry. Jesus shows us where to go in our fear. Jesus shows us where to go when the world is completely out of order. Now, I don't, I don't want to speak I don't wanna speak for anybody else in this, but I will speak definitely for myself in all this. I, I don't always start with the Father. I don't always begin here. I don't always start by rehearsing the truth of the gospel to myself. I often go to distraction. I often go to work. I often move towards control. For example, uh, three years of living overseas as a missionary in England, um, I would fly four to five times a year. I hate flying. I've never liked flying. I don't like getting in a flying tin can and being trapped. I don't like the way it feels. It stirs something up in me. Anxiety and panic come flooding in. Once on the plane, I would try to get to my seat as fast as I could, get my phone out and get distracted, dive into some work emails, get onto social media until the sweet lady would tell me to turn my phone off. I, I would try to play a mindless game to disappear for just a little bit, all of which would sadly not work. And the panic and the fear and the anxiety would steadily come racing back in. Then, in gentleness and mercy, the spirit of God, usually through my wife, would remind me where I should go. He would say, come to me. Charles Spurgeon said it really well, and that surprises a lot of you. He says, and herein, he sets us an example. In all times of tribulation, let us fall back on our sonship of our adoption and the fatherhood of our great God. To our father, let us go. To whom else should a child so naturally fly? We were made to move there first. Jesus told the disciples, he tells us in John 16, 33, promises the tribulation in this life. And then he promises that he would overcome. He then teaches us in the high priestly prayer in the next verse to take these things to the father. Second thing in the passage is the life that I need, that I feel like that we need and want is only found in knowing God. Look at verse three. Verse three of John 17 says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The life we need and want is only found in God. Uh, growing up in church, like I did as a church brat, running around the building all over the place, I, I developed a very limited view of what eternal life actually was. Much of that was my own fault. Um, my first look at eternal life as a kid growing up in the church uh, circled primarily around going to heaven and escaping hell. That was my, my look at what eternal life was. Now, I'm glad, as I said earlier, that, that eternal life will include the undoing of every sad and broken thing in the grandeur of heaven. I'm really glad. I'm really glad about that truth, okay? But eternal life must always be tied to knowing must always be tied to knowing God. The best quality of life is the kind of life that is spent in deep communion with God. Jesus brings a quality of life that is deep and rich and robust and real and lasting. Life with God, knowing him, being known by him is what um, our young adults pastor, Tamarcus Ragland referred to as the good life. 
It's the good life. That's what it is. To know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent, this is the good life. Friends, Citizens Church, God knows that we need him. He knows that our longings will only be fulfilled in walking closely with him. He is our ultimate end and our eternal reward. It's why we get, it's why we get so frustrated. It's why we get so frustrated and so angry and so disappointment when we place our hope on anything besides Jesus. When we have any other relationship as primary, it's why it falls apart. It's why all of these things over and over and over again just don't work. I've seen this over and over again in student ministry for the last 24 years. And I've seen it in my life for the last 43. If this is eternal life, we don't have to wait for that. It is for us now in Jesus. It's not a one day thing, it's a now thing. This is where our soul finds its rest, its home, its satisfaction, its purpose, and its peace. Knowing God like this in a deep abiding communion with him. This births an intimate love for God, the God who loved us first as First John 4 says. This instills a vigorous trust in God in every circumstance to know him, who is only ever good in every circumstance. He is only ever good. This also brings forth um, an obedience to his ways that are always best, knowing God like this in a deep communion with him where we are consistently recalling and remembering and reminding each other and rehearsing together the truth about God is we experience a relationship with him together. Because what this does is it points his children to even greater things in our delight. What it does is it provides us with purpose in the day-to-day and it pushes us into a deeper hope and confidence in the middle of all of our darkest dismay. For the follower of Jesus, the good life, eternal life does not mean the absence of pain, but instead the presence of God. That's what it looks like to know him. It's what the, the hymn, I need thee every hour says. I need thee every hour in joy or in pain. Come quickly and abide or life is in vain. That's what it looks like to know him. We were made to know God. Living in relationship with him is our highest good. This is the invitation for you today. If, if you don't know God like this, this is the invitation for you today to come and know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent to die for you. This is the invitation. Or perhaps this is the reminder for you that his relationship is the most important relationship. It's where eternal life begins. So I'd like to finish with you guys the way that I finish with my students on Wednesday nights at Unite A Lot. Um, I like to close in a time of, of, of prayer, uh, but I'd like to ask some questions to lead that time of prayer. So if you would bow your heads with me and let's pray as we finish our time together. Lord God, as I pose these questions to my friends and family that are here, Lord God, I pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Friends, when life 
hits you, when it comes at you as Jesus promised it would, where do you go first? Ask the Spirit of God to show you, where do you go first? Church, where do you believe true good life is found? Is it something besides God? Is it someone besides the Father? Lastly, what, what would each day look like if your central pursuit, if your primary goal, if your greatest good was God? my God. We confess now, Lord, that we are far too quick to run to other things. But God, help us to remember we were made for you. We're made to, to know life with you. It's our soul's home. God, I pray that you would remind us of these things, these truths. God, help us to believe them to be true. Lord, I pray this morning as we move forward in song, God, that you continue to move, speak to our hearts. Thank you so much, God, for the almost unbelievable, wild truth that you want relationship with us. How marvelous, how wonderful. I thank you, God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.